Let's learn, let's learn, let's learn. Pashas Yisro. So last week you had a treat uh, by Miller. Uh, school was off, was able to, uh, to come and join. Hope you were uh, able to join in on that. And we now turn to Parshas Yisro. Parshas Yisro begins on page 394. We are not going to touch the beginning of the Parsha. The beginning of the Parsha, of course, is where we are introduced, uh, not for the first time, but really more at length, to Moshe's father-in-law, uh, the father of his wife, Tzipora, uh, who comes to join the Jewish people. Last week we learned about Bishalach the uh, splitting of the sea, the exodus of the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim. And uh, Yisra comes to join them, and he sees in the beginning of the parsha how Moshe is being burdened by the weight of judging the people morning, noon, and night. And he, of course, comes up with his suggestion of appointing other judges, which Moshe accepts, and that's what they do. And that is the, uh, one of the first instances of a son listening to his father-in-law the first time his father-in-law suggests something, which is always mentioned this time of year. What we're going to focus is in the next chapter. The centerpiece of this parsha, Parsha's Yisro, is the Aseris Hadibra. So it is translated as the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Anyone who's actually counted up the number of mitzvahs in the Aseris Hadibra will discover right away that the number of mitzvahs con- contained in the Aseris Hadibra is far more than ten. That's for sure. Uh, it's not like ten simple statements. Some of the Yadibros are, are rather long and contain multiple elements of mitzvahs in them, but they're known as the Aseris Yadibros because there are ten different statements, so to speak, which contain several different mitzvahs in them. That's the centerpiece of our Parsha. One can argue it's the centerpiece of all of Torah, this idea of the, of the Aseris Yadibros, um, and that would be an interesting discussion. There's a lot of discussion how to view the Aseris Yadibros because... It, it's just another pasuk that all of Torah is important. All 613 mitzvahs are important. Yet, Hashem saw fit when he introduces the Torah to the Jewish people at, at Maimon Harsinai, standing at Harsinai, which is again the centerpiece of our parasha, standing at the foot of Harsinai, he gives us these 10 statements first. So there's clearly an importance about the Aseris Hadibros. But what I want to focus on with you this morning is a certain theme. Uh, it's a theme which is in, at one point both simple and complicated. It's a theme which all of you for sure take for granted, which is why I want to focus on it, because some of the things that we sometimes take for granted don't get enough uh, press time because we take it for granted. And that is a simple theme of emuna, the idea of belief, faith, and the concept of a creator. And because this episode is such a seminal episode in Jewish history, standing at the foot of Harsinai, receiving these Aseris Hadibros, the Ramban particularly, but we see it in the Pesukim, trace a, a certain, this theme throughout different episodes of this bigger episode, and uh, we'll talk about, I hope, three, four different parts, but just pulling that thread out, because it's worth every once in a while uh, just following that particular, uh, that particular thread. So what I want to do is if you flip to page 400, and, uh, 400 page 400, just a few uh, pages into the Parsha, uh, beginning with chapter 19, Perak Yutes, is one full chapter ahead of the giving of the Aseris Adibris. The Aseris Adibris begins in Perak Chaf, the 20th chapter. This entire chapter is the Jewish people's few days, six days, at the foot of the mountain, before they get the Torah. So they arrive at Midbar Sinai, they arrive at the wilderness of Sinai, and they're there for a number of days. So what we're going to do, we're going to bounce around a little bit from this opening series of Psukim to the actual sum of the Aseris Hadibros, and, and pick out certain ideas uh, as we go along. Brief summary. So they get there, to the foot of the mountain, and Moshe goes up and down the mountain several times. 
delivering or first receiving messages from Hashem, coming back down the mountain and delivering the messages to the people, and then coming back up the mountain to deliver the response to Hashem, then getting a new message and bringing it back down. Three, four times he goes up and down the mountain. It's amongst here where we get the line of, yes, whatever Hashem says we want to do. Hashem says, are you sure you want this Torah? Yes, we want it. I'm going to make you into a treasure nation. We're in. You're going to prepare for three days. We're ready. Back and forth. A lot of very important dialogue takes place in this chapter. We're going to pull out just one line. And the one line is when Moshe comes down and he, or excuse me, when Moshe goes up, he gets the following message from Hashem. It's on page 402. You could flip one more page. Verse 9, Pasuk Tes, Vayomer Hashem El Moshe, this is Hashem Moshe's second trip up the mountain. Hashem says to Moshe up there in the mountain, Hine Anochi Ba'elecha Be'ov He'anon. Look, I'm going to appear to you in this thickness of the cloud. So that when I speak with you, when I give you the Aseris Adibus, which is going to happen in just a few short days, there will be this thick cloud when the Torah eventually describes the giving of the Torah, it's a light and sound show. There's thunder and lightning and a shofar, and the mountain is, th- is trembling itself. So Hashem says, I'm going to speak to you from this thickness of this cloud. And why am I going to speak to you out of this thickness of the cloud? So the Torah says the reason. Ba'avor, in order, yishma ha'am bidabri imach. That the people should hear when I speak to you. So I'm going to speak to you, Hashem says, I'm going to give you the Torah. And the people will hear me speaking to you. And then they will also believe in you. Le'olam. What does the Olam mean? Forever. So there's going to be this thickness of cloud, Hashem says. I'm going to speak to you in order that the people hear that I'm speaking to you. And then they'll believe in you. Forever. And then Hashem Moshe reports what the people had said from the previous dialogue. And uh, Hashem then tells Moshe, go tell the people to prepare for the next three days. And uh, I'll give them the Torah. What is this idea the commentators are troubled by? That Hashem says, I'm going to speak to you through this thickness of cloud in order that the people hear me speaking to you. Why is it necessary for the people to hear Hashem speaking to Moshe. There's a separate discussion whether or not the people fully understood what was being said, what level of prophecy. But why was it necessary that they actually hear it? Now, what would be the most obvious response? That they see a big miracle. They're going to see it. And it's a miracle that... Certainly. Got to really believe that it's not just happening. Moshe's head. That they believe that he's the guy. Yeah. So, the Ramban quotes disapprovingly an, an approach of the Ibn Ezra, one of the classic commentators. And the Ramban does not favor it. But I'm going to quote what he says, because I'll show you why the Ramban does not like it. The, Ramban say, the, the Ibn Ezra, who the Ramban originally quotes, says, the reason behind this was, There was still some doubt amongst the people of the concept of prophecy. And therefore, it was important that when Hashem gives the Torah to Moshe, that the people, the, the, the people as a whole should hear that there should be a removal of all doubt in the concept of prophecy and in the concept of Hashem's presence. That there, We don't want any doubt. We don't want any doubt, and therefore there should be this, uh, they should hear. Now the issue that the Ramban has with this is, I just love the, I love the way that he says it. He takes offense 
that anyone could say that the Jewish people would doubt prophecy. That there should be any doubt left in anyone's mind. The Ramban says, Ki zera Avraham, the children and descendants of Avraham, Yitzchak and Yaakov, have any doubt about prophecy? This is in our genetic and spiritual DNA that there's lo yistapku There's no way, there's no chance that anybody still has a doubt. Not only because we've heard from Avraham and Yitzchak. This is family lore. Family tradition. Says, Be honest, where are we at this point in the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim? We're standing at the foot of our Sinai. What's gone on for the last year? For the last year, Moshe has come back. It's a full year. Moshe came back from Midian. We had ten plagues. We had the splitting of the sea last week. Says the Ramban, that Hashem, the people need to hear so that they should have no doubts. We're beyond that. We're beyond that. As children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the concept of prophecy is not something that we question. And beyond that, they just went through, they just went through Yitzhak Mitzrayim, by Aminu, by Hashem, Uvim Moshe, Avdo. They believed in Hashem, they believed in Moshe. They saw, they sang, Az Yosher, that that's not, that is not an issue. So what does it mean then? Why is it so important that the people here so the Ramban says something that's really a, uh, a, a fascinating idea. Says, says the Ramban that at that moment of Kabbalah Satoru, the Jews stand at the foot of Harsina, they receive the Torah, they actually hear the Torah being given, they themselves all became prophets. They became Nevi'im. They all heard, they achieved a level of that Nevuah, and that was significant. Lo shia aminu mi pi That they should never have to believe from someone else that this event happened. Should never be that when someone says, How did we get the Torah? Where did it happen? How did it happen? That someone says, Moshe told me that he heard from Hashem. How do you know? I know because Moshe told me. No, 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 no. I don't ever want it to be that a Jew that was at Har Sinai knows that there was a communication of the Torah because someone else told him. You were there, you heard directly. So that in you, Moshe, they'll believe forever because at the centerpiece of really any religion, certainly, certainly Judaism, is the idea that the divine communicates with a human being. Because how else should the human being know what it is that they're supposed to do? How, how do we know that? So there has to be this communication. It shouldn't ever be, says the Ramban, uh, based on this Pasuk, that it was, oh, I heard from someone. No, no, no. Every single Jew standing there will say to their children, I was there and I heard it. I heard the direct communication. And that is the source of the, the Mesorah, the tradition that we have that every single person gathered there had that particular experience, so that, the Ramban says, when it will be later in generations, which is exactly what happened, there'll be a chalom chalem, there'll be a dreamer, who comes and says, I had a new prophecy, and that which was said before is now void, and this is the new approach. When that happens, they'll say, nope. I, it's, it wasn't that I once heard from a prophet and now I'm hearing from another. I was there myself. I, the people heard. And until the people hear anything else in a mass revelation, 
than what was, is, and that will always continue. We have new prophets who give us new warnings, but no new mitzvahs. That we don't have. You, or, or any negate. The new mitzvahs are some dirabanans, Hanukkah and Purim celebrating events. But there's no such thing as negating a previous mitzvah. They don't have that. Can't be. Because we were all there and we all heard directly from Hashem. Okay, more to say that, but I want to follow this thread. So that is the, the introduction of what's going to happen at Harsinai. We then get to Harsinai, we will skip a couple of uh, psukim, and we get to the first of our Aseris Adibras, the number one thing. And here we're going to have an introduction. I guess, you know, we're familiar, but even if you are, um, if you had to think about, this is always those great questions, you know, you're standing at Harsinai, you have this entire nation, and you're now going to have this mass revelation, Hashem is going to reveal himself, he's going to give us the, the first Aseris Adibras. What should that start with? How should, you know, again, you, we may know and remember what it does, but if you could think about it theoretically, philosophically, theologically, what should the opening line of an introduction between a creator and his people, who we just took out of Mitzrayim, children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, here's the giving of the Torah, there's this big moment, like if you were scripting it, what, what should that first line opening introduction be? Now, without taking um, uh, guesses or uh, personal suggestions, what does Hashem, of course, let's take without it, just in mind, knowing what we know, so if you want to flip, you want to look at it in Sally, we are now moving to page, uh, bottom of 406. How indeed does Hashem introduce Himself uh, to the Jewish people standing at Harsinai? Bottom of the page, Pasuk Bez, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, I am Hashem your God. Okay, let's, uh, let's stop with that a second. How do we, again, I say this tongue-in-cheek that we're going to sort of judge, like, how Hashem did things. But, like, okay, how, how is that as an introduction? Okay, that sounds right. Like, I am God. Anochi, this is a big moment. An introduction is in place. Yeah, right? This is a great introduction. Anochi, Hashem, Elokecha. I am Hashem. Now, we'll talk in a moment. Is the word Elokecha singular or plural? Singular, very good. Those who remember uh, way back when grammar school, yeah? Anochi Hashem Elokecha, singular. That's of note. Who's he talking to, Hashem? A very large group of people. And all of the words, all of the psukim prior to this are in plural, as Hashem speaks them. You can take a look back on the previous uh, verbs throughout the, uh, the page, you'll see. But it's a singular. But yeah, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, that's appropriate. Not that Hashem needs our, uh, our approval on how we introduce himself, but that's a very st- strong, makes sense, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. Now, if we were to finish that sentence, I am Hashem your God who did something, like to, to prove, to establish, of how would we finish that sentence? So we could have a couple of options. One would be, created. I created heaven and earth, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, who, you know, the creator of everything. I created you. I created all of this. I'm, I am, I am him. I am the creator. That's not how Hashem introduced himself. He introduced himself by saying, Exactly. Then all the Mephoshim are troubled by, because in a certain way, it would seem more logical to have gone big, to have said, I am Hashem, your God, who created heaven and earth. I, I created you, I created the star, I created this whole business, this whole universe. And instead, Hashem focuses on a specific event, a big event, we have an ayantif to celebrate it uh, every year, but He focuses on who took you out of Mitzrayim. 
So the Ramban, amongst others, asks, so why didn't he go, why didn't he go big? Why didn't he talk about the creator of heaven and earth? Now, there's a, a, a um, well, let's start. And what would have been, what would, the, what would the question that we ourselves would have asked had, or even if today, if there would be a voice emanating from on high, and with the, I am God, and I created heaven and earth. What would the most likely response that we would have if we heard such a voice today? Who's it aimed at? I mean, who's what aimed at? Who's the target audience? Let's say it's us, right, right in this room. No, I'm saying that this is something, does everyone hear it? Or even it, just the Jewish people, whatever it may be. Right? As, 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 as Jewish people right now, even as we're at it, someone made such a claim to, to us, would you, would you believe it? No. no. Well, what questions would you ask? Prove it. You know, you want me to believe that you're God, creator of heaven and earth? A Jew would say, any Jew with her salt would say, show me, prove it. Who says? How'd you do it? You know, I want to, I want to know. And then we would say, why'd you do it like this? I would have done it like that. that that's our second comment that we would have said. Is, I, I know how to do it better. That was the second thing. But before we would tell this creator that how he should have done it, because we know how he should be running the world better. But before we got to that, we would say, like, prove it. Who says? So the Ramban actually says, that's actually exactly why Hashem begins the Aseris HaDibras with, I am Hashem who took you out of Mitzrayim, instead of saying, I am Hashem who took you out of Mitzrayim. Because that, it is what he said. He said, I'm creator of heaven and earth. But he already answered your question before you asked it. Because he knew if, you would say, if he would say, I am Hashem who created heaven and earth, you would say, <coughs> who says, prove it. So he says, I'll, I'll skip that step. I took you out of Mitzrayim. Remember what happened in Mitzrayim? Me- remember those ten plagues? And you were there for it. Remember the splitting of the sea? And you were there for it. Remember Makas Bukharos and Choshech. And remember how every time Paro said, end it now. That's exactly when I ended it. When he said, end it tomorrow, I ended it tomorrow. Whatever you want to distinguish between the Jewish camp and the Egyptian, I did that. Like, you name it. And all of those things are, are proof. Only a person who's the creator can manipulate all of those things. Remember the Egyptians, when they threw up their hands and they said, this, this we can't do. We can manipulate some things, but like this is already, this is etzba elokimi. This is the finger of God. So Hashem did say, I am Hashem, your God, creator of heaven and earth. But I said it in a way that you would actually understand that that's true because exactly you were there, you saw, you experienced and therefore, when I said, I am the God who took you out of Mitzrayim, am in effect saying, the creator of heaven and earth. That's the first of the Aseris HaDibros. The Ramban points something out. Is this first of the Aseris HaDibros a mitzvah? Is it a command? This is the Ten Commandments. How does the first of the Ten Commandments begin? I am Hashem, your God, who took you out of Mitzrayim. Is there... The next one, the next pasuk is already number two. You shall not have any other gods upon my face. That's the second of the commandments. In the first commandment, is there a command? It's a statement. It's a statement. The statement is, I am Hashem, God who took you out of Mitzrayim. So do we actually have ten commandments or should we reframe it? Maybe we should say it's nine commandments. Oh, so the Ramban says, the Ramban is very important, the Ramban says, this debor, this statement, mitzvahi. 
It's actually a mitzvah. The Rambam, both Maimonides and Nachmanides, count this as a mitzvah. And even though there is no thou shall or thou shall not in this pasuk at all, it's just a statement of fact, both of them count as a mitzvah in the Torah, one of the 613, the mitzvah to Shia Amin. The Ramban uses a double language. Shia Aminu v'yedu. That you should believe and know that this statement is true. And there's a lot to talk about why those, you know, there's a big difference between those two words of Shia Aminu and Shia Du'u. What Shia Du'u is that you should know. How do, how do you know something? You learn it, you experience it. Yedu is something that I, I, I know. Shia Aminu is something I have to believe. And the two go together. If you don't have any knowledge, then you can't have any belief. What are you believing in? You don't, you're not, you're, you're pie in the sky, you don't believe in anything. But if you only are a person of knowledge, like if you're only belief with no knowledge, so you believe anything, where you're not based on anything. But if you're only knowledge with no belief, then what are you limited by? Whatever you know. You know, if, if this is what you know, that's, that's all you got. And you're, there's this glass ceiling on however, like that's, that, that's all you know. How, how much do we human beings know? How much do we experience in our, in our short, limited lifespans? How much do we understand? You know, I, I always joke around because, you know, in, in, I mean, I my position is no different than yours in which as the world events happen, everybody has an opinion about what should be happening or shouldn't be happening, both in real things, like what's going on in the world right now, which is very real, and in Narishkeit, like things in sports. And I, I say, I'll, I'll introduce like this. I'm not saying this is a joke. I mean, seriously, like, I have boys, Baruch Hashem, so now some of them are older, in their 20s, and I still have a 13-year-old. So my 13-year-old likes when his friends get together in the house, so they, they, they talk sports, right? And so the best is listening to a couple of 13-year-olds debating what some coach should or shouldn't have done, or what a team should or shouldn't have done. Like, there are these like, kids who understand, and in, in in, I'm talking about Narishkite sports, but like in the decision-making realm of whatever coach or GM had to make a decision of who to sign or who not to sign or who to play, in, that, in the world of Narishkeit, out of the information that that coach had to make whatever decision they had, what percentage of that are these 13-year-olds holding on to as they're debating whether or not it was a good or a bad decision? Like more or less than 10% would you get? Like I would guess less than 10%. That these kids are holding on to less than 10% of the information that went into whatever decision they're debating. So as the parent listening to them, it's acute and all, but it's hilarious when I know that you're holding on to, and I think it's significantly less than 10%, by the way, <laughs> that you're holding on to like literally nothing out of the information that was actually available and used into what made the decision, and you guys are talking around, you know, the couch on a Shabbos afternoon, you know, as if you guys know, like, you're big shots, right? Now, I use it as, a, as the same thing when a bunch of grown-ups sit around their Shabbos table debating what the government of Israel, say, for example, should do with a particular situation in which we can ask the same question. What percentage of the information that not, not, the, not Hashem, that the Israeli government is dealing with, are you guys sitting around the table dealing with as you're telling the government what they should be doing? How much of the information that the Israeli government has do you have? What percentage? 
right? Last time the kids have about the GM of the Los Angeles Lakers, right? You have, like, what, what percentage of information are you working with? Like, whatever the, the, the Times tells you, and how much do they tell you from what they know, and whatever, you know, whatever, the, and the J, you put all your news sources together. You know what the government knows? I don't think so. I, I, I would presume it's far less than 50%, just being generous, right? Far less than 50%. So it's cute that you're debating and telling them what to do. You don't have the information. So that's the realm, and that's in real life things. And the same is true in every aspect of our life in terms of how much do we know what's going on. And then you want to talk about big picture from the Rebona Shalom's perspective of Jewish history, not just our own individual lives and the era that we live in. The big picture. How much do we have of what's going on? How much information when we debate or we think it should have been like this or it should happen like that? How much of the actual information are we working with? What percentage of it? And that's infinitesimally. It's, it's nothing. We don't know. We live a sliver. So the Ramban uses the language. What does it mean to believe in Hashem? You have to via du, via aminu, that He exists. You have to know and believe. They're both true. Because you have to know all that you can know. Because if, if you don't know anything and you say, I believe, what do you, what do you believe in? You don't even know anything to say that you believe. How could you believe if you don't know? But if you're only focusing on what you know, <laughs> what do we know? We don't know anything. Nothing we know. So, but I need to know everything that I can know. I have a mitzvah to know, to learn, to understand, understand all that the, the sages and that the Torah has revealed about Hashem and the way that it works. I have to know. I have to know. And then I have to believe because my knowledge is going to hit a certain ceiling. I don't know any more than this, but I, I don't want my belief to be limited by that. I only believe in the Rebbe but that which I know, I don't, I, that's, that's not a Jewish approach either. I want to believe in much bigger than what I know. I believe it was the Kutzker Rebbe. Kutzker Rebbe, someone, something once happened, as it always does, a difficult time in Jewish history, and um, somebody came to the Kutzker Rebbe with a you know, complaint, so to speak, like, I, I don't understand. I, I, I don't yeah, we don't understand. So the, the chassid said, how could you believe in a, in a God that you don't understand like that? You don't understand, I don't understand, how do you believe? How can you believe when there's no understanding? So the chassid very famously said, I would never believe in a God that I could understand. I, I, could, under, I could be that God then. <laughs> you, know, you want me to believe in a God that I understand? Ah, oh, that's not... That you and that I understand that, that we're, we're garnished, garnished, garnished. Don't ask me to believe in a God I could understand, but I, I do have to know enough to be able to say I believe. And so that's this language of because uh, you were there, the people he's speaking to, you were there, and you know, and therefore that is the, uh, the greatest language. Okay, one last, last point in this first puzzle, I want to go to something else. Um, the Ramban mentions... Um, as I pointed out, this was in uh, singular, singular language. Even though we're speaking to masses of people, and almost all of the psukim before and after are in the plural. So the Ramban points out that, uh, you know, a Jew is always focusing or functioning in two realms, of the realm of the individual and the realm of the klal, the community, the people. We have this tug of war between being an individual and being part of something bigger. And as we're part of something bigger, we give up sort of individuality. I'm, I'm part of a, a, a nation. Uh, for example, this comes up all the time in when a person is uh, unfortunately uh, sitting Shiva and Yantav hits. And we all know what's the halacha when Yantav hits in the middle of Shiva? It ends Shiva. And you say, why? 
I don't understand. I, I, I need this. And the answer is, because the Jewish people are celebrating. And the national celebration overrides the individual sadness. In the same way that during the three weeks where we mourn the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, an individual says, I want to get married. And we say to them, you can't. They say, I, but I want to get married. I found my Bashar. It's time. We say, the national people are grieving. You can't get married now. And so it goes both ways in the sense of that's an example where the individual has to feel part of the, 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 the claw, so to speak, because we're a people. We are a family. We are a people. And yet, we're an individual. We say in Rosh Hashanah all the time how each individual will be looked as sheep are counted. You know, Nisan Atokev, every individual is going to get their moment. So the Ramban points out, and this of the Aserah Sadibros is an example of that, and it's spoken to in, in the singular language, that each and every Jew standing there was spoken to as if Hashem was saying, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am, I, am, I am yours. And the Ramban's language is... It's like this, and he says, and if any individual will think, I'll just cover myself in the crowd. If the crowd, if the klal, the Jewish people are doing well, so that blessings should be showered upon the people, great, I'll be part of that. And my misdeeds won't matter, because after all, in the big picture, everybody's doing, uh, everybody's doing fine. So to that sentiment of... It doesn't work that way. It's true. If the Klal is doing well, so blessings will be bestowed upon the Jewish people. But it's also true that every individual is looked at and is judged and it matters and it has that moment of how are you doing because Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I'm not just the God of the Jewish people, but of every single individual that make up the Jewish people uh, as well. Okay, one last little section that I want to cover. The Ramban right? what's okay, so the first three, the Sarasa Dibras, are very um, man-god-like, so to speak. your God, do not have any other gods, is the second. The third one, do not take my name in vain. And then we get to the first, like uh, meat and potatoes, so to speak, beyond just this, def- this uh, description or relationship between Hashem and us. And the fourth, very famously, is... Zachar es Yom HaShabbos LeKadusho. Remember Shabbos and uh, to, to sanctify it. So the Ramban writes, why is this the fourth? Now, this, that question is not a strong question because it actually, we like this. this again, if we were again judging Hashem in the way that he put it together, we're like, okay, that's, that's good. You have, uh, you know, these, uh, I am Hashem, do not have any others, do not take my name in vain. And then Shabbos, the Gemara actually says that Shabbos is shakul keneged kol mitzvah Shabbat Torah, is equal to all the mitzvahs in the Torah. The value of Shabbos, the weight of Shabbos, the heaviness of Shabbos. So that's a well-placed, so to speak. That, that's not really a question like why this. That's, that, that makes sense. It's not like we chose Shatniz to be the fourth of the Aseris Adivas. We chose, we chose Shabbos. Shabbos is, uh, Shabbos is Shabbos. It makes sense. So the Ramban says beyond just that it makes sense because of Shabbos, it's actually the embodiment of those first ones. Meaning, Anoch Hashem Elokecha is this very theoretical belief concept of I know and I believe, I won't have any other gods. Put that into practice. What does it look like in the most succinct, concrete way of putting Anoch Hashem Elokecha into practice? is Shabbos. Because Shabbos is this testimony of 
For six days, Hashem created heaven and earth and rested on the seventh. And that's what the first of the Aserah Sadibras was. I am Hashem, my God, and I'm Hashem, your God, who created heaven and earth. But you're going to question and say, how do I know? So how did I phrase that, that I'm Hashem, my God, who created heaven and earth? I just took you out of Mitzrayim. I'm, I'm the God who created heaven and earth. And how are you going to live that testifies towards that? By... Shabbos. That's exactly why Shabbos has that weight of shakul keneged kola mitzvah shabbat Torah. That same the same value. Now the language that the Torah uses is this language of zachor as yorim hashabbos to remember. Um, I touched on this at mincha last night. So for those who were there, I apologize for the review. Or maybe you could thank me for the review. So either way, um, what what does that look like? Remember, if I if I just what would it look like if the Jew woke up one day and said, "I want to fulfill the mitzvah of." Zachor es yom hashabbos the to remember Shabbos. What would it look like to remember Shabbos? What do you need to do? So that's on. So that's shamor exactly right. Meaning on Shabbos, refraining would be shamor guarding Shabbos. What would it look like to fulfill zachor es yom hashabbos? So uh, let's start with this. When. Which day of the week can you fulfill the mitzvah of Zachor Es Yom HaShabbos L'Kajo? So here's the... So, so Rashi, let's start with Rashi. Rashi tells us, Rashi tells us, we'll translate this together, Tenulev, how would you do that? Tenulev, give your heart, pay attention, Lizkor Tamid, to remember always as Yom HaShabbos. Always. One should always pay attention to always remember Shabbos. And the Rashi gives an example. What's the example? How, how do I do that? What, what does that look like to always remember Shabbos? So Rashi says, If something comes into your possession in the middle of the week, a nice piece of meat, a nice potato kogol, what should you do when that comes into your possession? Save it for Shabbos. The covet Shabbos. That is an example, Rashi says, of remembering Shabbos always. That, like, you think that I'm going to eat all these cookies when you leave. No. I should put them away and say, I should have these for Shabbos. That's what Rashi says. Now, the Ramban has a big problem with this. The idea, he says, I agree with completely. That you should pay attention in your heart all week long and be thinking of Shabbos. I agree. The example, the Ramban says, I don't agree with Rashi. And the reason for that is because this statement that Rashi quotes is actually only one side of a two-way dispute, a machlokas. The opinion of Shammai is this exact opinion, that whenever Shammai would come across a piece of meat, he would say, this is for Shabbos. And he would put it away and have it for Shabbos as an expression of remembering Shabbos. But Hillel... Hillel had a different approach to life, the Gemara says, and they debated this. Hillel says, that's not a way to live, that everything that you have, you put away for Shabbos. The way you should live is, when you come across something nice, you say, Baruch Hashem Yom Yom. Every day, Baruch Hashem. Look what Hashem provided for me today. What's He going to provide for me tomorrow? I don't know. That's tomorrow. Today, look at what He gave me. I'm going to enjoy it today, and I'm going to say, Baruch Hashem for what you provided for me today. Not, I'm going to sock this squirrel this away for Shabbos. I'm going to have, I'll take care of Shabbos for Shabbos, but today I'm going to appreciate what I have today. 
That's what Hillel said. And how do we paskin in a dispute between Hillel and Shammai? Paskin Hillel. Which means that if you find a nice piece of meat, are you required to put that away for Shabbos if you find it today? What am I going to do with these cookies when you all leave? I'm going to eat them, that's right. And so I'm going to buy something else on Friday for Shabbos. But right now Hashem provided me a whole platter of cookies. Why should I put them away? should enjoy them today. Could be in the end, we'll switch. Could be. So therefore the Ramban says, I agree with the theory that you should always be thinking about Shabbos. But this particular example, that's, that's not necessarily how we hold. You're allowed to enjoy what you have. You say, Baruch Hashem today, and I'll take care of tomorrow, tomorrow. So what is the application of this? So the Ramban says, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, we touched on this in relation to the months of the year. So the Ramban says, there is no such thing as a day of the week in Judaism. There's no name. How do we refer to Wednesday today? Yom Rivi'i. Today is the fourth day. Yom Rivi'i from what? Yom Rivi'i L'Shabbos. Every time a Jew refer, refers to a day of the week, you don't use things like Monday, Tuesday. Like These are pagan deities and belief systems of moons and sun. We don't believe in any of that. You want to know what day of the week it is? It only matters what day is it in relationship to... Shabbos. Shabbos is the center of your world. And every, the Ramban says in a minute, every time when you say the Yom, we, we unfortunately in English don't actually, in Hebrew, modern Hebrew today, a, a non-Jew on the street, not a non-Jew, an, a, even a secular Jew, if you ask him what day of the week it is, it's, it's Yom Shlishi. That's how you refer to Tuesday. That's what it is. Yom Shlishi from what? From Shabbos. Your, Shabbos is the centerpiece of your world. That's a fulfillment of the mitzvah of Zohar es Yom HaShabbos Lekadsho. So that in its most basic meaning, which day of the week do we fulfill the mitzvah of Zohar es Yom HaShabbos Lekadsho? Not just on Shabbos. On Shabbos itself, it's just, just your today Shabbos, today Shabbos. But every day of the week, that I should always be thinking about Shabbos, which we always do. So, so Shammai held that extended all the way to putting meat aside. Bill says, you don't have to do that. But you should always have Shabbos in mind by referencing the days of the week in relationship to Shabbos. The Gemara adds another layer when we say, Zachor, Yom HaShabbos, the Kaddashah, the Gemara adds that this is the source of Kiddush. The idea of saying Kiddush, that you should sanctify Shabbos, you should remember it and declare it with words. So that when we make Kiddush on Friday nights, is also a fulfillment of this particular mitzvah, in which it's not just in my head that I remember it Shabbos, but as it comes in, I declare it so. And that is a mitzvah, Torah mitzvah, to declare Shabbos as Shabbos begins. I just always like clarifying the level of Torah law and rabbinic law, that which is derived. The rabbis came, the rabbanon came and said, I don't want to leave it up to you to come up with the words to say that this one uses these words, and this one uses those words, and then the next week you... I'm going to give you a set text so that Chazal gave us the words of Kiddush, and they said to us, don't just say it, use a cup of wine. That makes it... Give, the stature is totally different when you have a cup of wine and you have a set text. Now you're, to, you're making a declaration. The mitzvah in the Torah is use your words and declare it to be... Shabbos. So if you were stuck on a car, broke down, this should never happen, and uh, two minutes before Shabbos, you're stuck on the road, you're in a hotel, you have nothing, no sitter, no grape juice, no wine, and, and now the sun goes down, what should you do? Should you say, Today is Shabbos. 
I don't remember Kiddush by heart. It's okay. Just say, today Shabbos has begun. That's the mitzvah of the Torah, to use your words to declare it as Shabbos. Chazal gave us, use these words. Here's the bracha that you should make. Do it over a cup of wine to give it all of its significance. But the mitzvah is the chorus yom hashabbos lekacho that a person should declare um, should declare it to be the sanctity of uh, of shabbos. Um, okay, there's more, but uh, we're out of time. Okay, Mitzvah Shem. In future years, we'll we'll cover some more things. But this is the, the thread in these psukim, just to type what we did. Um, how emuno, which is again uh, the centerpiece of everything that we do, but in these parshas it comes out both from Hashem saying to Moshe, "I'm going to speak to you in the thickness of the cloud because I want the people, all of them, to hear that this Maimed Harsina, this idea of Harsina, is so critical." The first thing they say, "Hashem Dibras, Anoche Hashem Elokecha." And it's going to be in a way that you know it to be true because I took you out of Mitzrayim so you know that I'm the creator of heaven and earth. And then we concretize that in the, in the Deber number four, Zachor Yom HaShabbos Kacho, in which that is the expression of the belief that we have of Anoche Hashem Elokecha. And we remember it all week long and uh, particularly on Friday night as well. Okay, wonderful. Uh, I will see all of you in Mitzvah Hashem next week.